Welcome fellow pilots and other podcast listeners to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman, Captain David Campbell, and today I'll be speaking with Captain Will McQuillan, MEC Chairman, First Officer Chris Gruner, your Negotiating Committee Chairman, and Captain Ronan O'Donohue, your Strategic Planning Committee Chairman. Well, I'm sure everyone knows 2020 is just about over, and I think most of us will be happy to see that in our rearview mirror. It doesn't mean that there aren't other issues facing us, and we'll talk a little bit about that today, what's in the future, and also take stock of, of where we've been. So, Will, what's on the agenda for today in our conversation? Well, I think we'll, we'll talk a little bit about some familiar issues, as you hinted, and then talk a little bit about the path ahead. And as you said, you know, 2020, as it comes to an end, if, if anything marks what 2020 has been about, it's been an evolving landscape, right? It's changed, daily change. And we're starting to see the landscape change yet again. But this time, I think probably for the better in terms of greater clarity of what lies ahead, what the recovery looks like with a vaccine on the horizon and you know more certainty, uh, positive trends in terms of booking numbers and LPFNA being able to see some distinct trends in the recovery, I think we can we can focus forward a lot more clearly now. In particular, I think for Alaska, we've seen the company decide that if they've seen a competitive uh, challenge and they've decided to respond to Delta here in Seattle. And as they've gone to defend that market share, they're effectively trading a, the Thing that we've heard so much about that goal of cash burn zero for a goal of of defending market share but it has pilot impacts and that's partially what we'll talk about today and you know sadly still a lot hasn't changed in the way the company is attempting to make changes outside of the contract to save money we've discussed that a little bit in past podcast with the scheduling rules and the recent removal of vacation days for example Right. Yeah. So I guess the the familiar, the cash burn zero initiative uh, may be changing globally in terms of how they run the airline, but we still have obviously some threats that we, we contend with on a daily basis. Will, you hinted that the objective of competing more heavily with Delta in Seattle has had an impact on pilots. How did you mean that? Well, I think the most obvious impact that we've seen have been the, the recalls of our pilots who are on extended incentive lines early. They're, they're being called back early, uh, impacting six and nine month pilots. And uh, now at this point, we're even seeing uh, it impact longer leave pilots. So, uh, you know, it's definitely a change and a change in expectations for the, for the pilots. They're merely two months into their leaves. And it's certainly uh, well in advance of expectations. We're hearing that feedback clearly. Yeah, and it obviously has big impact on the pilots who were out on EIL, but it'll affect those that are on property now as well, right? Yeah, it certainly will. I mean, as these pilots come back, your bidding position is going to change. If you've been enjoying a fairly strong bidding position while you've had a number of pilots out, that that's going to impact your quality of life as well. I think it probably, since recalls are you know imminent happening, it would behoove us to spend a couple of seconds and maybe reiterate what that process looks like. Yeah, good idea. Chris, you want to explain what people can expect? Yeah, sure thing. And as you all remember, part of the negotiations here was to make sure that the company had flexibility to take advantage of opportunities as things started to come back. And so that's what we're seeing right here, just like Will talked about. So just a reminder, the company has to give you 45 days notice before they bring you back. And then if they're not recovering an entire bucket, 
So for example, a six month bucket of, you know, Seattle captains, then pilots will have the opportunity to bypass in seniority order. And then if they don't get enough pilots that uh, agree to come back, then they're going to assign pilots to come back and reverse seniority order. And uh, actually, it's a little bit of a misnomer that uh, pilots will have the opportunity to bypass because the default, if you don't reply, actually is bypass because that's what you originally bid. So I do want to make that piece clear as well. So actually what you're doing is uh, uh, letting the company know you would like to come back. So uh, keep that in mind as this process continues down the road. Yeah, Chris, that's that's good information. And actually, there's a point that I think that we need to emphasize here, which is I've been getting a lot of phone calls, particularly from the Airbus folks who are recalled and are confused about which bucket they belong to. The guys I'm talking about now are out on extended incentive lines. And, you know, if, if you want to explain, Chris, why somebody went out as a 320 captain on an extended incentive line, but is getting recalled in the Boeing buckets, that would be really helpful. Yeah, Ronan. So, you know, we put in that uh, LOA that pilots needed to bid, and then you would be carried as a paper bid. So the last bid effective date was November 1st. So pilots are going to be recalled uh, in accordance with that bid. So wherever you landed on that bid, whatever you're awarded, that's what you're going to be recalled to, and you're going to do training to then fill that position that you currently have. Now, that's going to happen with these subsequent uh, position bids. So then let's say they're going to recall people to be available to the company on April 2nd. Well, when they do that recall, they're going to use that April 1st bid to determine what position you're going to be recalled to. Yeah, I, I think that's an important point. And that was kind of how the program was set up to work, which was such that the company would have an idea of what its future assets were when they either grew or shrunk a fleet. But it is it is confusing. I mean, we actually have somebody who is an MEC rep who went out as on an extended incentive line as a um, 320 captain and is now being recalled as a 737 captain and just caught him by surprise too. So th there's definitely room for clarity. I think that's valuable to provide that. Yeah. And one more thing, just as a reminder, we've discussed this before, but you don't actually fill that position until you're trained into it. So for the purposes of per diem and hotels and everything, uh, that's all going to be based on your last qualified position, the last place you're qualified in. So if you did leave as a San Francisco Airbus captain, and then now you've been awarded a Seattle Boeing captain on this most recent bid, you're still going to be able to receive a hotel and per diem for training. So keep that in mind as well. Yeah. That's a really important point, actually, Chris. So just to emphasize that you're recalled in your new position, but you're still treated like your old position until you're done with training, correct? Yep, that's correct. Your last qualified position. So if you change two or three times, none of those middle ones matter. It's only that one that you left and were last qualified in. Yeah, and we alluded to the fact that there's frustration that pilots are being brought back early. And, you know, to some degree, like we just discussed about, well, what ground rules apply when I do come back? But I think the greatest frustration that, you know, underpins all this is that there really isn't a lot of clarity in this, the company's staffing models. And so these things are being done so short notice. And, you know, pilots are just not having time to prepare, to mentally prepare, to practically prepare for the challenges of, of returning. And that has been a key frustration and something that we've dealt with, as everybody on this call knows, all week, right? It's frustrating. I think, Ronan, you could probably speak to the impact because you were the first guy to take calls when they, they actually started um, recalling outside of 
the Boeing family, and that was our only known recalls up until this week when suddenly Airbus pilots started to get letters. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it is frustrating. And the frustration has come loud and clear from the pilot group that they didn't see these things coming. And, you know, my initial thought was it wasn't going to happen until March. And then I find out after some emails went out that it was in January. And I know that there's folks that have daycare issues. There's folks that have travel plans. They have college, you know, kids, they've committed to other things. And we hear you loud and clear. I mean, any sort of clarity, even if it's not 100% for sure, any sort of clarity on this issue is is absolutely appreciated. I mean, these are folks that went out and, and saved many other people's jobs. So I, I think out of respect for them, it would be really, really a good thing to try and uh, help help them in this transition back. Yeah. Uh, one of the key frustrations, of course, and to be clear, is that none of these Airbus recalls or anything other than that we originally were informed of or contemplated were done with any notice to us here at Alpa. I mean, we literally did not know until pilots started calling us that the company had contacted them about potential um, return to service on the Airbus side. And, you know, it, the, the letters themselves, the confusion was, is it a recall notice? Is it not? Um, and as we've always said, what, what about the plans that I had? What about the, the challenges that I have? The last thing I heard is that we were safe until March. So, you know, here we are again with a lot of uh, workload and um, for the MEC in the course of, of a short time frame, just because of a lack of communication. Yeah. And along those lines, you know, it's probably worthwhile to give pilots as much clarity as we can now on the podcast and just remind you that there are resources to uh, go to in order to fill in the, any gaps that you have. So remember, contract compliance is a resource if you um, are looking for process issues. If you have personal issues and things like that or one-offs, you know, obviously talk to your reps and they'll help get you to the right place and, and guide you along uh, those lines. We'll also be releasing frequently asked questions here. Um, should be out by the time this podcast is released. Um, and I'll just take a couple minutes here just to talk real briefly, uh, high level on pay and bidding and what that will look like uh, coming back. So unlike a normal bid, right, you can come back with a recall halfway through a month or something like that. So it's not going to be a normal process. But in a month you do return, you're going to receive a minimum of 75 hours of pay. So that minimum guarantee for the entire month. And then any portion that you are on an EIL for that month will be prorated and count as credit towards the guarantee. So then if you add additional credit, you know, either through vacation or training or flying that added to the EIL prorated section gets above that 75 hours and you'll be paid that greater amount. So is that clear enough, Will? <laughs> I, I think, yeah, clear enough. And if we know pilots will reach out to the appropriate resources when they have questions about pay, that, that yeah. one's easy. So bottom line is minimum of 75 hours. We'll leave yeah. it at that. And then yeah. further questions we can dig into. As far as bidding, Again, you're not going to be coming back for a full month, and it's unique in that aspect. Normally, you would bid a month, and you'd have that awarded to you. In this case, with a 45-day recall, company is permitted to bring you back partway through a month. So uh, as a reminder, if you're not qualified right, per the contract, uh, you're not going to be able to bid until training is complete. The one exception is if you're not qualified due to lacking landing currency only, in which case you'll be able to bid for your first full month back, even while you're out in an EIL. So if you're coming back January 10th, you won't be able to bid for January, but you will be able to bid for February, regardless of whether or not you've completed that landing currency by the time bidding closes. And uh, 
EIL pilots will be able to choose a long call reserve schedule in addition to just the short call reserve schedule. Yeah, I think that's a key point that we have to emphasize too. When people say, why does the pro rata table apply or why am I being recalled in this fashion? It's because the company's not bringing you back for that full month. And we realize that our contract is inadequate in how it covers bringing people back on a partial line. Other contracts handle it a lot better. And in fact, we've already passed a proposal or discussed rather, I won't say passed a proposal yet, about how to fix this to include, you know, adding open time into the equation and uh, other options for pilots. So this is something we're going to address, but um, this is where we are right now. Yeah, we're, we're aware of the frustrations and it was something we were trying to actively fix before the pandemic hit and we'll continue to actively find a better solution. There are other solutions out there that we can pattern off of. Will, you mentioned this lack of notice created some work for the MEC as well. What was that work? What did you guys do? Well, obviously, when we started hearing from the pilots, we had to, to reach out on to the company counterparts and see if we could learn exactly what was going on. And my understanding is, is that these were courtesy heads up notices to a number of Airbus pilots and nothing more, not formal recall notices. So we had to seek clarity on it. We ended up having conversations. I did. Uh, the other officers did with uh, Jenny Wetzel, who's the VP of Labor, Elizabeth Ryan, the Managing Director of Labor Relations, and then uh, capped it off with a very candid discussion with John Ladner. Um, on what is it? I guess Tuesday night about the impact that the the changing expectations had on pilots' lives. I guess what's most important is the go forward and that the company uh, we asked for and we have been promised true clarity on what their recall plan looks like. As John indicated, there's still a lot of uncertainty in terms of the recovery, so they probably will still be shorter term recalls, closer to that 45 day threshold. But I said, that's fine. You know, let us know exactly what you know so that we can communicate clearly with the pilots, because that was the real issue here is just that we always need to be transparent with the pilots about what to expect. And uh, we did get a commitment on that. I did obviously mention that more notice than 45 days is certainly better. And uh, reiterate the fact that we, ALPA, uh, especially our membership committee, should be one of the first points of contact when it comes to issues like this. We've been actively tracking and auditing, and then we also need to be able to cross-check their recall plan. Because as we alluded to in this previous conversation, as people move around from EIL status to EIL status with each subsequent position bid, this is the stuff that we're keeping track of. And, you know, we, we are relevant stakeholders in that conversation. So, you know, it was, it was a lost opportunity to make stronger decisions by involving us in the beginning, but, um, you know, it was Monday and Tuesday's helmet fire and it's done now. And, you know, Will, we often talk about the company should want to involve us as partners. And one of the reasons for that is as you say, we're keeping track of all this. We're an interested stakeholder in the success of the company, and we do a good job of it, and we've shown that to them over and over again. And over the last several years, we've saved the company's bacon on a number of occasions, and we've saved them a lot of money. And you would think that they would want to engage us in, in all of these processes so that it, it goes smoothly because, A, it's good for the company, and, and then we have that interest in, in that it's good for our pilots. And those things work together, and you would think the company would want to engage in that. Of course, that's what we would think. And as I've said many times, I'd make that point that our SMEs are very, very good at what they do. And in many cases, 
our volunteers are, if you will, unitaskers. They are highly specialized at exactly what they do. And people on the company counterparts, it's like one hat of many that they wear. And so we do have the expertise in a lot of cases. I'll just say it. We can produce a more pro-pilot solution, one that protects the pilot's interests in long-term goals and the careers and your paychecks, while at the same time being more cost-effective. Yeah, and I think that's an important point to make. Our, our objective is to find things that are pro-pilot that help them. The ancillary benefit to that is it's normally more cost-effective. Right, yes, exactly. But from the company's focus, if, they, if we're talking about why would they want to take advantage of our expertise, now in the end, we're in general saving them money. Right. And this pandemic has proven it. Right. Millions of dollars. Right. We have concrete examples now. It's not just a theory. We can point to ways that we have saved the company lots of money. And again, the benefit is it's been pro-pilot. Yep, absolutely. To put a finer point on that, the optimizer rules that we've been talking about in the last couple of podcasts is, is a good example, right? Yeah, exactly. We have, even though on the company side, there were many attempts to change these optimizer rules um, in the spirit of trying to attain cash savings for them. The Alpha solution has been picked for three straight months while this kind of debate has gone on. And we have been able to produce a solution that has better trips for the pilots, that uh, is in the end protects all of the the important rules that the optimizer, you know, is crafted around fatigue management, safety, those types of things. We've protected all of that. And it, as an ancillary benefit, has been more cost effective than the company's solutions. Even when they try to reinvent the wheel on their side, they haven't been able to compete. Our team's better. Right. I think it's a good example of the specificity of the Alpa volunteers in, in their field. And those optimizer rules are a good example because intuitively one might think, well, if I remove the rules, I'll save money. And I think that's what happened from people who, as you say, were wearing multiple hats. That was the intuitive response, but it's not correct. And so our specialists can show, no, that that doesn't that doesn't save you much money, at least certainly nothing material. And there's a reason that those rules are in there and we should maintain them. And oh, by the way, the money that you're trying to save, you're not going to achieve it. Yep. And each month we clearly said, go out there, protect, produce the highest quality solution that you can for the pilots, protect all of the, the safety backbones and the optimizer rules that are so important. And let's see how we do. And they were still cheaper. Dave, before we leave this topic behind, I do want to say that to re-emphasize a point that was brought up earlier on by Chris, when we're talking about future position bids, which I'll get into that in just a second, but when we're talking about that, guys need to be really, really careful that as they're bidding new positions, remember that you will be recalled if you're out on an EIL or you will be treated as you are in that position on that effective date. So it's just worth emphasizing again and the reason I mention this is a couple of things that out of the chief pilot call that Scott Day had there last Wednesday on the 25th of November, there was a couple of things that came out of it. And one of them was that the intention of doing a position bid here in the short term, that would have a May 1st effective date. And um, my understanding or our understanding is at least that's going to be a fairly small bid. We don't know the exact specifics of it yet, and we're still waiting to see what that's going to look like. But um, that's 
that's really, really important that guys are paying attention to that. The other thing that came out of that call, since I'm on that subject, which I was actually kind of glad to hear and relieved to hear, was um, when Captain Ladner made the comment that uh, he was going to commit to San Francisco as a long-term pilot base. Um, the question was asked of him, um, what, was that something that they were considering? And he said, yes, that San Francisco market was very important to us and it is part of their long-term strategy. So I know that'll be a relief down to the uh, San Francisco pilots to get that. So, But anyway, I just want to get that point in there real quick before we move on. Thanks, Ronan. And I'm going to turn the conversation a little bit and offer another example of the company's lack of or unwillingness to approach Alpha as a partner in, in finding a solution. And we talked about it a bit on the last podcast, which is the change to the way vacation is handled and specifically removing the vacation days from the open time. So, Will, what's the latest well, as we've noted both in negotiating committee updates, uh, chairman's updates, and discussed on podcasts, our position on this issue is very, very clear that we don't believe that there was a right to remove these days in any way, shape, or form, no matter what argument they want to craft. And it's our strongest opinion that they need to restore those dates. We did offer them a solution to the staffing problem that was articulated in Captain Ladner's email. And we're waiting for a firm response on the restoration of those days and the solution that we offered that would solve their problem in simple uh, holiday pay. It's a very pro-pilot way to address both parties' concerns. Yeah, and well, I mean, frankly, restoring those days, right, especially before the middle of December when pilots still have an opportunity here to trade for February, I mean, that's the only constructive way forward. You know, otherwise, I mean, we'll continue to fight to restore those days, right? There's other processes, but again, it's like we've said before, uh, it's a long process and your lives are going to be negatively impacted for no reason in the middle of this. It, this didn't have to happen. No, it didn't have to happen. There was a, a long time period, an opportunity well before in advance of vacation trading opening to have a conversation if there was a problem and, and perhaps find a solution that, that would have worked. I mean, we obviously have identified the solution to the problem they articulated, and that should have happened well in advance of what they did. Right. And and again, like we don't have the option to violate our contract. Um, if we have a problem, we go and address things with the company and we expect the same back. The company should not be violating our contract when they have an immediate problem. So along those lines, you know, the company said they do want to discuss day at a time trading broadly. Well, this again, isn't the way to do that, but we've been trying to solve scheduling flexibility for years now. So if you go back to the JCBA, we pulled that MOU out for scheduling flexibility outside of the actual arbitration process because we wanted to negotiate it. And so when you look at this day at a time vacation, what I think you're seeing is pilots who lack flexibility to live their lives away from work just utilizing the contractual tools they have to be able to do that. So over time, you know, we've seen flexibility reduce as we've grown bigger, as we've become more process driven, as our network has changed. And pilots have identified that as a huge problem in impacting their ability to live their lives I've talked about. So yeah, of course, there's going to be an, a, a change in and how different contractual provisions operate and how they work. So again, we're open to this conversation, but let's go back for a minute here to look at that scheduling flexibility negotiation that we had. Everything in there was just the company saying, hey, you understand this is a give, right? You understand this is a give. As we're walking through it, 
And if we look at the things that came out of this, I mean, let's look at the reserve day drop. Companies not implementing this the way that we intended, which was for them to do the drop based on ARC before they assigned reserve trips. Instead, they're reserving, uh, assigning reserve trips and then doing drops if that person is still available to drop. It makes no sense. And that's not increasing flexibility. We have third step, which is the biggest keystone to this in the scheduling flexibility negotiations, still hasn't been implemented, hasn't been programmed. And you might want to back up and, and remind pilots what third step is. Yeah, so it's unbelievable to me that I have to remind people because it has been that long since we negotiated this uh, between now and it be actually being implemented. But it's real-time trading, right, before open time's awarded. So pilots with bid blocks can massage their lines and, you know, get, get something that works for them. A window of first come, first serve trading, right? which a lot of other airlines have. I mean, I had it at United a thousand years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, for context, this is a pretty normal thing in the industry. Right. Yeah, so solving our issues is not mutually exclusive to the business model. Quite the opposite. You know, if you're leading people, you need to understand what their issues are because things don't get better over time if you're not addressing legitimate issues. So we've been talking at the table about scheduling, staffing, and vacation. And we are happy to get back and talk about those things. So as soon as the company is ready for those conversations, uh, we're ready to do that. And uh, it's also important to note that taking away things, whether it's vacation days and open time or anything else, doesn't solve the problem. I mean, we saw that with the optimizer, right? Taking away rules doesn't solve a problem. It's doing stuff better. So let's sit down and have that conversation and stop taking stuff away from us Instead, let's talk about how to move forward together. Identify the problem and then mutually work to solve it in a pro-pilot way. Yeah, the bottom line is we're committed to sitting down and solving legitimate problems. And that starts with taking care of the employees here at this company and making sure that their legitimate issues that they've been bringing you for years are effectively taken care of. And I think if you uh, do those things, right, then uh, a lot of other things fall in line at that point. So regardless of whether it be optimizer, whether it be day-for-day -day vacation, whether it be anything, the solution is always going to be to sit down with us and have a conversation with us about the path forward. Yeah, and thankfully, right now, we're in the middle of full contract negotiations. So there's a clear avenue and ability to do that. But again, that's not something that would preclude us from doing that otherwise. It's just right now, we've got a nice, easy, accessible path uh, to do that. And we, we've certainly taken the opportunity to encourage the company to engage us productively in these, these conversations. There's a number of pilot concerns that we would like to see addressed. And, uh, you know, talking in Section 6 and mutual problem solving is the path forward. It's the only path forward. Well, you mentioned the vaccine at the top of the podcast. And I think if 2020 it was the year we dealt with COVID, I think 2021 is going to be the year we deal with the impacts of the vaccine and COVID. So fill us in on what we know so far about that and ALPA's position, the MEC's position. Well, it's, it, it's kind of, we'll start out by saying that the pilots have concerns. Pilots have already brought concerns forth about, you know, what does vaccination mean? Do I have to have a vaccine? Do I not have to have a vaccine? Can my re employer require it? Can they not? And we've identified also some real practical concerns when it comes to protecting pilots. For instance, uh, any potential vaccine might have a, a two-step process, and it might have a period in which you're not legal to fly. 
after you've taken the vaccine. And obviously there's, there's a lot of moving parts to this and you need to have conversations that protect the pilot's interests in any regard under all of these concerns. But the 30,000 foot view of it right now is that it's too early to know because the exact details of which vaccine and you know, right now they're still experimental in trial. And so there really are no ground rules when it comes to how it impacts your medical. What we can say, though, is that ALPA has not taken a position on the issue and nor has the MEC formally discussed it. We've just identified the threats and the questions that we're going to need to address. It's just a little premature until we have more details. For example, we're waiting on FDA approval, FAA approval. We can say at least this, until that changes, for pilots and clarity, nobody should get the vaccine because it could impact your medical qualification uh, you know, status. Watch for something clearly from aeromedical that will give you guidance in the future. And as I said, what we're doing is focusing on giving pilots options and protections. Options so that pilots are comfortable taking an approved vaccine uh, when one becomes available. And at the same time, options so that, you know, for those for whom, you know, there may be legitimate apprehensions about a vaccine, including like the long-term effects or health or religious concerns, that those concerns, they, they deserve to be respected. And protections so that if, for example, like I said earlier, if the vaccine requires a waiting period prior to flight duty, the pilots aren't penalized for having to participate in that waiting period. We've started these conversations, not in a material way, but we've made the issues and our concerns known to the company and that we expect to have those conversations just as soon as there's more clarity on the landscape ahead. Will, when you raise these issues with the company, what was their reaction? I think a recognition that those are material issues that we will need to discuss. And in short, they too don't have a position yet on any of those requirement, not required waiting periods, that type of thing. They're just like us. They're just waiting to see the landscape ahead and then we'll have that discussion. Did they at least seem willing to have these conversations with us? Oh, obviously. Us and- yeah, there's there's no uh, way to get around it. Those conversations need to be had. But yes, the response was, was favorable. All right. Well, as we close out the year, I think another topic on people's minds, a loose end, if you will, is the grievance process. Yeah, that, that may be the one area in which we can... I guess, report favorably uh, on today's podcast. I know that we've had a record number of pre-grievances that have been filed and that have needed to be addressed. Unfortunately, I don't have the specific number at hand right now, but it's been problematic and it's a slow pace of resolution. Then everybody recognizes that it's unacceptable. And this week, early this week, the company sat down with the grievance committee in small group session and actually made significant progress on a number of issues. And they were able to, to work together and resolve, like I said, a large number of pre-grievances that have lingered for some time. I do want to note that that's exactly how every one of the pre-grievance meetings should work. And in this case, I think it, it provides a very good model for the path ahead. It was, it was a good week in that. So hopefully we'll start to see that backlog clear here shortly. They've got additional resources now dedicated to helping on the company side. Will, besides dealing with the vaccine in the coming year, what else do you see in the near future? Well, in the near future, next week, the MEC officers have a scheduled meeting with incoming um, Alaska CEO Ben Minicucci. And we are planning to sit down and have a very candid conversation about pilot concerns and pilot expectations. As we've said so many times, that there is no room for 
lack of ALPA partnership or ALPA involvement on issues that are critical to our pilots. We'll be seeking his perspective on a number of key issues. And I said we do look forward to candidly discussing our concerns and desire. Now that there's more clarity on this recovery, like we have said throughout this podcast, to begin to address our pilot concerns. We understand what the pilot's priorities are, and it's time to move forward. There is always room for mutual problem solving, and we'll discuss that as well, that we've created a pretty good template over this last year about how things can work really well when we mutually problem solve and we can protect the pilot's interests, and that that is the the template and the expectation that we have for his leadership. Then looking forward after, uh, towards January, MEC will have uh, another multi-day MEC meeting with a key component of which is, is revisiting our strategic plan and making sure that we're on track and reporting back candidly to you the progress and the concerns that we still have ahead of us. In the weeks and months ahead too, another issue that's on pilots' minds that requires a lot more than just a a passing comment here is um, the return to service plan for the MAX. Uh, The airplane's coming to our fleet and our central air safety volunteers have been integral in those discussions at the national level. They've monitored the process and they have a lot to, I'm sure, offer and say that we'll do at a future time and date when there's that final bit of clarity on what that's going to look like and what the the picture looks like as the airplane enters the fleet next year. Well, I imagine this will be the last podcast we record prior to the holidays and the new year. Do you have any, any closing thoughts with that in mind? Yeah, with, with that setup, I guess I, I do. Um, in that the, the year end is really a time for all of us to reflect and look forward. And that's what we're going to continue to do as opposed to really look back on 2020. I will say this, that unity is, again, what got this pilot group through this last year, one of the most trying times in aviation history. And I'm incredibly proud of what the pilot groups accomplished and of the strong group of volunteers also who represent our interests every day. Everybody works so, so hard within this this union for the pilots. And you know, also note that the, the holidays are upon us, and that is a time that also calls for unity, kind of a different type of unity. And pilots should support each other. This is a time when pilots are away from home, away from loved ones, and we do have a duty to support one another and take care of one another. Uh, we've said it in, in previous years, and I think that this year also bears repeating that December is a month that is always heavy on pilot-to-pilot schedule trades. Everybody has different priorities, days they're looking for to get off, opportunities they want to explore with their families. And I would encourage pilots as just a minor gesture of unity, all other things being equal, when you look at your schedule and ways to trade, look at those trades first and try to help another pilot realize time off or a day at home with their kids that they may not have just simply because, as we pointed out, scheduling flexibility is a, a tough thing to come by. Thanks, Will. And as we move into the holidays, I I do want to remind pilots that if anything is coming up in their families that they feel like they need some support with, we have a great resource in the Pilot Peer Support Committee. Their number is 309-PPS-ALPA. And if anything that's going on in your life that you feel like you might want a little assistance with, give them a call. They're available 24-7 and they can point you in the right direction. I've also recorded a podcast with the folks that make up that committee, and that will be out shortly. Well, again, Will, Chris, and Ronan, thank you for coming in today. Thanks, David. Yep, thanks, Dave. Appreciate it, David. You've been listening to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. 
Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman, Captain David Campbell.